are a good, good father, Lord. I love that song, but it's still so hard for me, God. I didn't have a good, good father. So for many of us, we might be trying to figure out even what that means. Help us to know, God, that we are loved by you. That we're loved by you, God. Can we just rest in that? Thank you, God. Amen. Well, good morning. I want to add my uh, Happy New Year to everyone else's. And uh, Christmas 2015, gone. Done. Finite. Caputo. Finished. In the books. It is amazing how it seems like we gear up and it takes so long to get to Christmas and then it just is done. It's it's out of here. But not here at Twin Cities Church. Ron had mentioned that we are finishing our Advent series today by talking about something that you don't hear often about called the Epiphany. So I will come back to that a little bit later on, but I want to start out with a little Christmas statistics. So let's start with holiday travel. Let's talk about holiday travel. About half of holiday travelers make same-day trips without spending a night away. Long-distance travelers who do make overnight trips spend an average of nearly four nights away. The average long-distance trip length is 275 miles over Christmas and New Year's holidays. That's about from here to, to San Luis Obispo. Most holiday traffic is domestic. In fact, 97% of all traffic over the holidays is going to be to destinations within the United States. But that lucky 3% get to go somewhere in the world. I know people who celebrated Christmas in Paris. My daughter's in India. I was here. But that's all right. Holiday travel is expected to total 98.6 million people. That's an increase from last year of 94.8. Travel volume for this year and holidays will reach the highest peak recorded by AAA since 2001, and they say probably low gas prices have helped everybody in that one. So by a show of hands, how many of you were part of that 91% who celebrate with a road trip at least down the hill? Raise your hands. How many went down the hill? Nice. Many, many, many. Uh, I was a lucky one that got to stay home. So, and what about Christmas spending? In 2015, it was projected that consumers would spend over $6 billion looking for just that right gift. (laughs) That is about $800 per person. That includes 131 million shoppers in the United States on Cyber Monday. Now, the United States retail industry, so this isn't just uh, Christmas gifts. This is the whole, between the holidays, this is everything people spend on their travel, on their presents, on their Christmas trees, food, drink, everything. Check this out. It was was going to generate over $3 trillion. Yeah, I think most of that was on Starbucks eggnog lattes. Uh, (laughs) Or if you throw in the fact that Star Wars opened with $247 million on the first weekend, but as of last Monday, cleared the $1 billion mark worldwide. Crazy. 
But good news, as a result of all this spending, over 768,000 employees were hired throughout the United States to compensate for the holiday rush. The Christmas shopping season can start as early as September, and some consumers begin even earlier. Now, I won't have you do a show of hands to see how much of that $3 trillion you spent, but there could be some. But imagine, imagine with me for a minute that life isn't exactly like it is right now. Yes, imagine you want to do some Christmas travel, but you're going to visit a friend, a special friend, a special person, but they live quite far away. In fact, you're going to be traveling from here in Grass Valley to, say, Cheyenne, Wyoming. Now, this trip is not going to be in your big, comfy car with the warm seats. I like those. Instead, this trip is going to be on foot, maybe on the back of an animal. And this trip is going to take you months and months and months just planning the logistics, not to mention up to potentially an entire year to complete your journey. And Christmas spending? Absolutely, you've got to bring a gift. You want just the right gift. In fact, this gift must be fit for a king. What would that gift be? Money? Jewelry? Gold. That's it. Gold. Nothing says honor and respect like gold does. Now, it's going to take a lot of sacrifice on your part to accumulate that much gold, but you know it's worth it. You know it's the right thing to do because of the person that you are going to visit. Well, some of what I just described is called the journey of the Magi. The journey of the Magi, and we find that in Matthew chapter 2. And I want to read that to you today, and then I'm going to spend the rest of the time comparing the journey of the Magi with our journey in life and for where we are today. Let me read this. Matthew chapter 2, 1 to 12. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. 
For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So a little background as this chapter opens, uh, the baby Jesus has been born, but immediately we jump ahead about two years. So now our baby Jesus is a walking, somewhat talking little toddler. So let's start our comparison of life with who are the Magi? Who are the Magi? It says some wise men, also called Magi in places, from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking questions about a baby being born. So these wise men, we call them the Magi. Now the term Magi originally referred to a priestly caste in ancient Persia. And these men specifically came from Babylonia in the east. And their practices there may have included astrology, understanding of dreams and visions, along with magic. We actually get our word magic from the word Magi. So the Magi were usually leading figures. They were religious advisors in the municipal administration of their country of origin. Now these men, and we say they were th- there were three, but that's just because they, there were three gifts that were brought. We actually don't know how many people traveled in this caravan as they came to see Jesus. But these men had been exposed to Old Testament prophecies from Jews who could have returned home to Jerusalem once the exile ended, but they chose to stay in Babylon. And so these magi are Gentile religious leaders, and they would have been regularly exposed to Hebrew scripture, to prophecy, and to teaching. And just to make sure we clarify, a Gentile is anyone who is not Jewish. We'll talk more about that later. So if indeed these men traveled from Babylon, as most of the commentaries suggest, they would have traveled anywhere between 900 to 1,200 miles. So from here to Cheyenne, Wyoming. And it would have taken several months to up to a year from the time they saw the star until they arrived in Jerusalem. Now this star that they followed is a topic of great conversation in commentaries. All trying to figure out, trying to explain how this phenomena, a moving star, could have happened. Some say it was a natural phenomena. They would call it a comet, a supernova, a conjunction of planets coming together. But the real answer, we know the real answer. It was a supernatural phenomena provided by God. The star appears and then reappears here. It moves and directs the Magi, ultimately leading them to the precise house, the precise house, the spot where Jesus and his family occupy. I love how one commentary phrased this. It said, how it did so, they're talking about the star moving around, how it did so can only be left to the imagination. And the search for astronomical parallels to a divine communication is unlikely to be profitable. (laughs) I get that. That makes sense. Little side note here. Side note. I love that God uses a star and he entices these Gentile astrologers to come and find the baby Jesus. God uses the Magi's specialty in a powerful and supernatural way. Well, in comparison then, Who are we? Who are we? Well, the first obvious one is we, like the Magi, are Gentiles. Uh, For the most part, I would imagine we are all Gentiles here. And this is going to be very important later on, so remember that fact. But we are also, we're also a people, a people who at one point in our lives have been far from God. Each one of us has started a journey 
to find Jesus somewhere in our past. We've traveled roads that were filled with ups and downs and and twists and turns, all trying to figure out what this faith journey is all about. Now, Now, for some of you, the journey was quick. You were four years old. You said, Jesus, come into my life. For others, it's been, it was perhaps decades and decades of searching to find out some answers about God. I imagine, perhaps, there's even some here today who were still traveling that road, still looking for an answer to life's questions. That's who we are. Why did the Magi come? The Magi's goal is stated as to find the newborn king of the Jews. This is so interesting. So interesting because the people of Israel had long awaited for the rightful heir to the throne, but God chooses to announce his arrival first through the Gentile Magi. Now, evil King Herod, evil King Herod, he hears of the arrival of the wise man and the question they're asking, and it says in verse 3 that he's deeply disturbed. Apparently, Herod is familiar with the star symbolism, and, and then that was to announce the arrival of a messiah. So he doesn't question, he doesn't challenge the Magi when they arrive with this particular goal. Herod is disturbed because he has been appointed king of the Jews as his official title by Rome. But he knows, he knows he is not the rightful heir to the Davidic kingdom. He usurped the throne by aligning himself with Rome. Herod knows this newborn baby could threaten everything he has attained to this point in his life. The fact that the Magi are from the east could also be troubling to King Herod. Rome has taken over and has occupied most of the towns to the west, so Herod would not expect trouble to come from there. But from the east, mm, that's another thing altogether. It says in verse 3 that everyone in Jerusalem was also disturbed. Of course, the Jews have been awaiting for the Savior's arrival, so So it's not the vast majority of the people there that were actually disturbed. This represents the religious and political leadership of Israel. They're afraid, first of all, of Herod's response. He's been known to go into a rage and just kill because he wasn't happy. They wanted to make him happy. But they were also disturbed because they had aligned themselves with Herod with Rome, and therefore, if his power is threatened, then so would theirs be. One commentary said, this is quite an indicator about the spiritual health of Israel's leadership at this time. Now, Herod, Herod recognizes there's a link between the king of the Jews and the Messiah. So he calls for this secret meeting with the Magi. Behind closed doors, just you and me. Let's let's get down to the bottom of things. And he has this secret meeting with them. He attempts to find out when the star exactly had appeared to them. And when he asks a few questions, he then sends the Magi off on a mission. He says to find the baby and come back and report the findings to him personally, telling them a flat-out lie that it was so he could go and worship the baby as well. We know this because his real goal was to destroy any threat to his throne, which he will attempt to do later by tragically having all the boys under two years old killed. So what about us? Why do we come to Jesus? A very familiar scripture for most of you comes 
in Romans 3.23, which says this, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standards. We all fall short. Now, our journey that we've been on may have led us through religion, through good works, through philosophies, but those alone will not save us. We need a relationship with Jesus. That's what we need, a relationship with Jesus who alone has the power to take away our sins. So we are searching. We are searching for Jesus to find forgiveness for our wrongdoing, for forgiveness for our sins. It doesn't take long, and we discover that we need more than this life can offer, right? Life is hard. We are broken people. And so we come to Jesus. We search for Jesus, looking to find something, anything that helps make sense of our lives. What did the Magi find? What did the Magi find? The wise men leave Herod's court, and they follow the star towards Bethlehem. It leads them right to Jesus. Verse 11 says this, They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, unbeknownst to them, unbeknownst to them in this act, their journey, their visit to Jesus fulfills a prophecy that we have in Isaiah 60. They did not know this, but God works this out so beautiful. Here's what Isaiah 60 says. It starts well, like this. Arise, Jerusalem. Let your light shine for all to see. For the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. The Magi were often called kings, and that's why we have that reference there. And then this prophecy goes on in the next few verses to say things like this. Merchants from around the world will come to you, bringing the wealth of many lands. It says that caravans of camels will converge on you. Remember, we don't know how many exactly came to visit Jesus in the manger. It says they will be bringing gold and frankincense, and they will come worshiping the Lord. It also says they will honor the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. What a beautiful prophecy that these magi fulfill in their coming to Jesus. It's beautiful because if you go back just one chapter, in contrast, in the previous chapter, in 59, verse 9, they're in this state of life. It says this. So there is no justice among you, and we know nothing about right living. We look for light, but find only darkness. We look for bright skies, but we walk in gloom. Many people are not happy these days and complain about how dark it is this time of year. Are you with me? I just hate getting up in the morning, getting ready in complete darkness, leaving the house in darkness, driving down the hill, can't hardly see a thing. And then you spend all day at work, and if you leave, say, by 4.30, guess what? It's dark again. I hate that. I don't know about you, but at my age, at my stage, by the way, I turned 60 this year. I just had to start saying that recently. At this age, when it's dark, that means only one thing. It's bedtime, right? And so your whole day is spent in darkness, and then you go to bed. And we just do that again and again. 
But imagine living in the little town of Barrow, Alaska. It's located on the farthest northern tip of the state of Alaska, above the Arctic Circle. If you think it's dark in California this time of year, you have not seen anything. In Barrow, Alaska, the sun sets in the afternoon of November 18th, and it doesn't rise again until January 24th. 65 days of darkness. 65 days when the sun does not shine. Up there, the earth is tilted in such a way that the sun never shows itself for over two months out of the year. So the people in Barrow, Alaska, they, they can look for light, but they find only darkness. They can look for bright skies, but find only gloom for over two months. How depressing is that? Here now, on the other hand, here, sunset happens gradually. The sun gradually uh, begins to stay up a little bit longer. So I, I did some research. The sun will set today, this very day, 11 minutes later than it did a month ago. We have 11 minutes more of light than we did a month ago. Uh, but we don't really notice because it's such a slow process. But in Barrow, Alaska, oh my. In Barrow, Alaska, when the sun does rise for that moment, on January 24th, the entire town comes out to celebrate because finally, finally there is light again. So is the prophet Isaiah, is he speaking to the people of Barrow, Alaska? When he writes in this first verse of Isaiah 60, Arise, Jerusalem, let your light shine for all to see. What God's word talks about here is a different kind of light, and it's actually a different kind of darkness. It's not just physical, but it's spiritual. And when, and when the special light, when the special light that God speaks about begins to shine through that ugly darkness that is our world today, the results are more spectacular and far more joyful than anything you could experience in northern Alaska. And now, and now with the birth of Jesus, there is light again. There is light again that has come into the world. He is the radiance. He's the brilliance for the world to have hope. 1 John 1.5 adds an exclamation point when it says this. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Mm. So the Magi accomplish their goal of their long journey. They bow down and they worship Jesus. Now, the word used for worship here is one normally reserved for the veneration or the respect of deity. It's, it's unlikely, it's doubtful that the Magi understand Jesus' total divine nature. It's more likely they were paying homage to a human dignitary, one that had been described as the future king of the Jews. But they did, whether they knew it or not, they did discover the very light of the world. What do we find at the manger when we discover the truth of who Jesus is, the Savior of the world, the light for all to see, according to Isaiah 60, and we give our lives to him, we find peace. Philippians 4, 7 tells us that. It says, when we come to Jesus, we will experience God's peace, it says, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I personally, I personally can, cannot imagine 
what a life apart from God and my relationship with Jesus would be like. Can't imagine that anymore. Being filled with wrongdoing, being filled with sin, and having no hope of forgiveness. Living what I would consider this relatively short life here on earth, compared, and we even heard a story today, looking toward an eternity with God in heaven. Feeling like I need to be all and do all to be perfect in this world versus knowing that I have a Savior who loves me exactly for who I am. No matter what, faults and all, I am loved by Him, as the song said today. I find peace when I fully give my life to Jesus. When, like the Magi, I bow down, I offer my life to Jesus, and I worship Him in all that I do. Then and only then can I feel what the Magi felt when it says they were filled with joy. Finally, in comparing the Magi to us, how did the Magi's journey change them? How did their journey change them? The Magi are warned in a dream not to return to Herod with their report, so they return to their country by another route. Now this becomes, uh, they took the shortest route to get there. Now they're a circuitous, a longer detour of a journey still through treacherous territory run by Herod's militia. But it was, even though it was potentially very dangerous, they still seemed to, be, seemed to be willing to sacrifice anything, anything to have seen and to have worshipped Jesus. Historians say that we don't know much else about the Magi's life story, but I think, I can imagine, that this journey, this visit, did change them forever. I envision them sharing stories on their way home. And once they arrive back in their town, the stories of everything, the miraculous star that led them, that it led them to this baby in a manger, one who was supposed to be the next king of the Jews. And even because they knew what that prophecy would have meant, I see them sharing this story everywhere they go about the journey they were on and what they found and how it has changed them. I envisioned how does Christmas change us? Isaiah 60 once again opens with these words. Arise, Jerusalem. Let your light shine for all to see. For the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. That's us, folks. We're the you. The glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. We've also discovered Jesus, the light of the world, and his God's glory rests on us. This is an unbelievable thing to think about. Jesus is no longer physically here on earth, but he's left us, us with the responsibility now to be a light in the darkness of our world. Each day's news coverage is filled with darkness concerning sin, depravity, and evil in our world. But light, light exposes that darkness. Light brings hope where there was no hope. We are God's light to this world now. And yet, our light cannot stay hidden. In Matthew chapter 5, it says this, 14. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. God's glory is in us. 
So now we reflect the light of the world wherever we go. People will know about God. They will know about Jesus and his saving power just because of the life that we live in front of them. That is absolutely amazing. Like the Magi, we have roads yet to travel. They'll be filled with danger, and we need to avoid the snares of Satan on our journey. And yet at the same time, our travels are going to provide us with so many opportunities. Opportunities everywhere we go to tell others about what we discovered in a baby in a manger at Christmas time. Now the Magi, representing us, the Gentiles, I said I would come back to that. The arrival and worship of Jesus is known uh, as the Epiphany. This is the word we're talking about, the epiphany. Now, most of you would understand in general terms, an epiphany is an experience of sudden and striking realization. When our eyes are open for the first time to something new, we might call it one of those aha moments. Like, for example, in Barrow, Alaska, 65 days of darkness. When the sun finally reveals its glory for everyone to see, that's an epiphany. In the church year, the epiphany season is when the Son of God reveals his glory for everyone to see. Now, I've spent my life working with young people, helping them come to the realization that this life that they're living in this world is not enough. It's not going to make it. And, and we walk side by side with these young people and bring them to the point where we introduce them to Jesus Christ. And I cannot tell you the joy when the eyes are open for the first time, when this epiphany arises and these young people go, aha, I get it. And they invite Jesus into their life forever. Perhaps you've had different, that experience, but many different epiphanies in your life as well. That sudden realization that changes everything for you. Okay, listen to this. Most important, listen to this. The significance behind the visit of the Magi, our story today, is the revelation of Jesus Christ as Lord and King to everyone. To everyone, not just to the Jews. This is a beautiful realization. It's an epiphany. It changes everything for us because now salvation is ours as well. We now have the opportunity. We now are invited into the kingdom of God. We now have the opportunity to be in heaven forever because God revealed it not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, to all of us as well. Unbelievable. Epiphany is also known as Three Kings Day and Twelfth Day. It's celebrated uh, 12 days after Christmas. That's why Ron said the date is January 6th. I, I think we should start having big parties. Why not? Another reason to celebrate. You probably have leftover food still from the holidays. Just, just extend it out another week, January 6th, the Epiphany. In some countries, they really do celebrate. Days are given off school, giant feasts are eaten. It originated in the Eastern churches in A.D. 361. It was a commemoration of the birth of Christ. And then later, additional meanings were added. So the visit of the Magi, Christ's baptism in the Jordan River, and even uh, where he reveals himself at the wedding in Cana. So all of these events are central to the definition of epiphany. It's there are times when the divinity of Christ, his God part, is manifest. It's made visible to the world. It's an epiphany, a realization that changes everything. 
Now, for many Christians, Epiphany, those that do know it, is a reminder of God the Father's unlimited love and mercy, which he's extended now to all mankind. That's the major part. Through the revelation of his Son as Savior of the world. Now, if I was to summarize Epiphany, it would simply be this. From darkness to light. From darkness to light. From not knowing the truth about God, not knowing about Jesus' saving power, to coming to that understanding and ultimately inviting Jesus into your life to live for him. That's the most beautiful epiphany we can have. Now, the wise men were the first Gentiles to publicly recognize the divinity of Jesus by way of the offering of these gifts, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. Much has been written, much has been made about these three gifts and what they represent. Most likely, the Magi brought these gifts simply to indicate the esteem to which they revere the child and to represent the honor due him as the future king of the Jews. But I'd like to still end by drawing some analogies to these three gifts. First is gold. Gold is the most prized metals then and now. So we can start by giving God our material possessions, the stuff that we own. We can also include that we should have our tithes and our offerings to the church here and to the ministries that we support around the world. But gold, gold also then represents giving God our very best, the most prized part of who we are, the most prized part of our life. Gold represents giving God our all. Frankincense in Israel was used ceremonially as part of a recipe for the only incense permitted on the altar. So for us, frankincense is recognizing the deity of Jesus. He alone is God, and we now can offer ourselves. We can offer ourselves on the altar in obedience to him and to his will. And myrrh, myrrh is kind of fascinating. Myrrh was used in part when a dead body was being prepared for burial. It was to stifle the smell of the body as it decayed. Huh, interesting gift. Jesus, through forgiveness of sins, our sins, he's covered us with myrrh, and he's made our sinful bodies as fragrant as a bouquet of flowers. Hmm. Will you offer Jesus your life today? Your whole life. The good, the bad, the smelly, Will you offer your bodies as living sacrifices, as Romans says, as living sacrifices to be lived for him? The Magi came from far away, hopeful to find this baby who was to be king. We also have come from a far away place, spiritually searching for forgiveness. When we find Jesus, we find peace. We're changed forever with the realization that the glory of the Lord rests on us. Now we get to live as a light for him in this dark world. Hopefully this series uh, and this Christmas time has brought an epiphany to you, a stark realization that no matter what happens in our world, God is in control, that he alone has the answers to the questions that plague our world today. Jesus has appeared, not just to the Jews, not just to the wise men, but now to all of us. He's appeared to all of us. So as this Christmas season ends, 
our journey continues. We need to live each day from here on out, remembering and rejoicing that the King has come. Amen. Let me pray for you. Thank you, God, for the baby, for you, the manger, the way that you brought it all together that you brought these Gentiles and included them in now in a plan for eternity. Lord, because of that baby, we can be saved. Because of your birth, we have new life. Thank you, God. Lord, may we offer you our best, the gold of our lives, the most prized part of who we are. May we put ourselves on the altar and live for you each day. And Lord, may we always remember the realization that our, though our sins are ugly, as to us, as they, even as they should be, that you, you will take those and you will cover those and make us beautiful to you for your, because of forgiveness. Thank you, God. Thank you. May we live for you each day because you came to live with us. In Jesus' name, amen.